As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. She felt the blood running through her veins She liked the life she had She loved her big cats And the beauty of being untamed Well everything was fine Just as sweet as wine But her husband went and disappeared Got a little crazy, got a little hazy And the cops said there's something wrong here Oh, here kitty, kitty oh, Mama's got some treats for you Oh, here kitty, kitty You can't find this taste in the zoo Welcome back. It's Tiger King. It sure is. Numero. Trace. Oh, Trace. Thank you. <laughs> Pretend that didn't um, happen. Have you guys been loving? Yeah. 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 That's yeah. like literally what toddlers learn and you just didn't even I know. Learn. Ben can count to 20 in Spanish. He's four. And also, I feel like that was a big middle finger to Dora the Explorer. It kind of was. It 100% was. Book Dora. Just kidding. Um, I love Dora. <laughs> You're so rude. So have you guys been loving, if anybody that's listening has actually uh, gotten on the Netflix party and watched them with Torella? I have not for personal reasons. Uh, yeah. I keep forgetting every night. <laughs> yeah. I keep inviting Tori and she keeps standing my ass up. <laughs> I don't mean to, but I mean, if we're being honest, and it's not because... This isn't the reason, but if I rewatched it, that would be four times watching it. I'm not above it, but I have seen. I'm sorry. How many times have you seen The Birdcage? Okay. I hear what you're saying. Not exactly the same, though. (laughs) Well, I'm just saying. saying. I'm just saying. Tiger King, Nathan Lane. 
Yeah. yeah. I'm just saying. I'm just yeah. saying. But anyway, so this one is called The Secret. It's episode trace, as we already said. Well, I'll try to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I'm told you I didn't want to re- relive that ever again, and you just threw it back <laughs> in my face. Yeah, sure did. Sure mm. did. Yeah. We open with that motherfucker, Doc Antle, saying, oh my God. it's so crazy it can't be true. 20-year-old cold case murders don't get solved. Um, Yeah, and on the Netflix party, we were all like, uh, yes, they fucking do, Doc. I know. Have you ever heard of a little a great man called Bill Curtis? Yeah, and an award-winning, probably, TV show called Cold Case Files? I mean, you motherfucker. get out of here with that. Yeah. I know. You should have that ponytail cut off just for saying that. I would love to do the honors. Because. Yeah. Yeah. So Joe Exotic begins explaining that it all started with Carol Baskin, of course, that bitch Carol Baskin, (laughs) who was Carol Lewis at the time. Mark McCarthy said that he did see Don Lewis about a month or so before he disappeared. So Don Lewis is Carol Baskin's ex husband Mm -hmm. or. Do you say X if they, she's widowed? Well, they referred to him as her late husband. Late husband. Okay. Her late husband. And he said that he saw him about a month or two, or a month or so before he disappeared. And he mentioned to him that he felt like his life was in danger. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. So, it does not sound good. Um... Vernon Yates, wildlife rescue and rehabilitation member. <laughs> they just put like there where they work. So I don't really, I don't know what his title is, but oh. he works for the wildlife rescue and rehabilitation center. Mm. He says that there are so many twists and turns and so much stuff that you'd have to write volumes on it. Like what went wrong there and the lies. Mm-hmm. And he also says all the circumstantial evidence there shows that someone had something to do with it. And it all points to Carol, but no one can prove it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I mean, we'll. I guess we'll get further into the episode before I say Spew how I your feel. Guts. Yeah, but also like, I don't know how I feel either. I'm not sure. It's there's so many emotions with this whole whole documentary. Like I find myself on everyone's side at some point except for Doc Antles. <laughs> yeah. Never Doc Antles. Yeah, fuck that guy. But sometimes I'm like, well, I see, I see what Carol's doing there. And then other times I'm like, well, but Joe makes a good point. And you know, like it's yeah. just it's kind of all over the place. The the bottom line is I guess everybody's batshit crazy. So Yeah, and also like I don't know. I would like to get more information, I guess, about the investigation in this case, because it's definitely just a bunch of, I really felt like she had something to do with it. And that's coming from a hell of a lot of people. But still, she's not been charged. She's Mm -mm. not been, like, formally named as a suspect. She's never been arrested for it. So it's like, again, that's just a slippery slope. Like... Mm-hmm. You can't just run around being like, well, this woman's a murderer and there's legitimately like no proof whatsoever. There was, actually, I don't remember where this was, but I saw something somewhere and it was like, yeah, Carol can't keep her story straight about the day that he disappeared or whatever. And 
they go back because they show it in this episode where um, there's like news footage from like right after it happened where she's talking about, you know, he said he had to get up early, early, early um, to go down to Miami and he was going to go to Costa Rica or whatever. And then so they show they they just show a still image of that and, you know, have typed out the quote. He had to get up early, early, early to go to Miami. And then they say that in her interview from now, she's saying the same thing, but she's saying Costa Rica. But if you let that first interview play out, she says he was driving to Miami or whatever to then fly to Costa Rica. It's still the same thing, but they're showing it side by side, making it look like her story 20 years ago is different than it was today. It's just little stuff like that. I think there's just manipulation of some of the some of the facts. Well, and you're kind of stepping on my point here, Torella, because we're going to get there. Oopsie. I told you. See, I said I should just wait, but I couldn't wait. Okay, well, you should have fucking waited. (laughs) So (laughs) (laughs) then we see Carol and she's on the screen and she's saying like everything happens for a reason that she wouldn't have any of her life any other way because it took all of that to get to where she is now and she doesn't regret any of it. No regrets. Yeah, I did not like that. I didn't Ugh. either. I don't know. It could be very playful editing. Yeah, that could have been an answer to a question that had nothing to do with this case. Right. But if it had something to do with this case, then I really don't like it because right. she's basically like spitting in Don Lewis's face, you know, like, well, right. I mean... I don't really mind that he died. It got me to where I am. You know, like, it's just... Yeah, exactly. Had he not disappeared, then I would probably still be stuck with him. You know, like, whatever. But like you said, they could have been doing... Because they did hours and hours of interviews with everybody. They could have been having a separate conversation. Yeah, there's really no telling when this took place. But she doesn't really sound great through no. the rest of it, even when she's talking, speci- like, when she's definitely talking about the disappearance of him. Yeah, here's the thing about Carol Baskin. Like, I would not put it past her that that they said, how do you feel or, you know, do you regret anything leading up to his disappearance and her being like, no, because I wouldn't be where I am today. Like, I don't put it past her to have that response to this directly. Just based on the way she talks about everything else. Right. So then we hear from Gladys Lewis Cross, Don's ex-wife, and she says that the last thing that she heard from Don was that he said he was divorcing Carol, that she's one of the worst people he'd ever met and that she was dangerous. Don's two daughters, Gail Rathbone and Linda Sanchez, who look exactly like their mama, mm-hmm. are also interviewed. And Linda said that Don had told them to stay away from Carol, that she was definitely dangerous, but he never said exactly why. Wendell Williams, Don's business associate, said that Don said that he wanted a divorce and that then he never saw him again. I have no idea how to say this guy's name. John Marzacano? Sure lead homicide detective said that the call came in as a typical missing adult he thought that it would go as things normally go that after a little while things would kind of work themselves out but then he said after about two weeks he began to think that there was foul play involved so it took 
two weeks for him to not show up. I don't know. That's That seems like a pretty big window, but I guess we've heard worse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I guess since Don had a plane and all that kind of stuff, they were like, well, he could have just left. And he was planning to go out of the country. Right. That's what. And it was Carol the says. was it the nineties then, or the eighties? It was, I think it was the nineties. Okay, I think so too. Um, yeah, it was definitely the nineties because there's footage of them together in like ninety four. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I just I feel like th- during that time, police were more like, eh, they'll turn up, right? <laughs> we'll be fine. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Carol began or begins talking about when she first met Don. She and this is the way that they met is what the fuck, <laughs> right? She says that she first met him in January 1981. She was 20 and he was 42. Mm-hmm. Vernon said that Don was married with kids, but apparently he was going down Nebraska Avenue in Tampa and he saw a girl walking down the road crying. He had been in a fight with her or she had been in a fight with her first husband she carol's like i actually had to throw a potato across the counter in order to get out the door which everybody knows the the whole potato thing i mean that who oh. hasn't been there you know what i mean oh my god so like during this part of the documentary on the netflix party they're doing a, a reenactment you know of like carol as she's walking down the street crying and then a guy in a pickup truck stops to pick her up and we're like why do we need a reenactment of this? Why is there not a reenactment of her throwing a potato to get away from this man? Like, that's the reenactment that we need. <laughs> right. Like, I can right, imagine. Exactly. I, I know what it's like for somebody to pull over and pick somebody up. Let's get the potato. <laughs> like, why the potato? I don't know. I'm just. <sighs> it's interesting. Also, if the most dangerous. This, this makes me feel like maybe Carol's innocent. Because if you're. Well, two things. Either she's just lying or if you're worried and you feel like you got to get away and the worst you can do is throw a potato. <laughs> but was the potato cooked or was it not cooked? Because we got two separate different, like two separate different. Well, <laughs> two, oh, my. Two totally different things here. Uh, a raw potato. That's going to cause some damage. A baked potato. Probably not. A baked potato. Yeah, that's like. That's like kissing someone with a feather. Exactly. <laughs> but Especially also... It's got, got sour cream on it. That's true. But also, if you're um, using the uh, words that's a separate different is uh, as redundant, almost as redundant as the word titty nipple. No. <laughs> Why did you don't just you think, think titty nipple? I don't... Because I, mean, I, just yes. thought, I just thought you're stepping on the point there. You know what I'm saying? I gotcha. And so does titty nipples. Does it not? I mean, yes, but it was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. I don't want to talk about titty nipples anymore. Okay, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> so anyway. Anyway. She said that Don pulled around and asked her to get in the car. I hate this whole story. I know. <laughs> and the way she's like laughing about it. Ugh. So she's it's like, no, I'm not going to do that. So then he pulled around a couple more times. She said she thinks on the third time when he pulled around, he said, I have a gun. He, she said that he had a gun on the front seat and or the passenger seat. And he said that she could hold the gun on him, that he just needed someone to talk to. So she picked up the gun. She held it on him and they drove around and talked. 
And then she ended up spending the night with him. Mm-hmm. Vernon said that he basically deserted his wife and kids because he was in love with Carol. Okay. Ugh. Okay. If you meet somebody and they're like, hey, girl, y'all want me to let you date or whatever, you know, like <laughs> trying to pick you up on the side of the road. And you're like, no, sir, I'm fine. This is everything's fine. And then he keeps driving. That's creepy. And then he was like, well, I've got a gun in the car. You want to get in? You could hold Will the that gun make on you me. you feel better? Yeah. Right? No. The answer is no. Like, he just said he had a gun. What if he has another gun that he's not telling you about, you dumb bitch? What if the gun is not even, lo- like, I just, I can't. I know. The whole thing I can't. And then with him, I can't either. I cannot with him. <laughs> and I'm sorry yeah, that we don't know where he is, but I don't like that. If somebody says they don't want to ride with you, you don't keep, like, keep circling back and bothering them. That's fucking creepy. It is. And, like, she's a 20-year-old girl. Yeah. Also, what do you think his intentions were by finding a girl on the side of the road who was crying? Does that not scream vulnerability to you? Right. The only thing he didn't realize is that Carol is a master manipulator, and she was probably doing that on purpose, but whatever. Well... Exactly. So Gladys, she said that she was told that he had met Carol and she was devastated. And she said apparently he liked to call her an angel. And she was like, well, she's an angel sent straight from hell. And one day you'll realize that. The and nerve she said the, of this guy. relationship was over. Yeah, to refer to I his know. girlfriend as an angel to his fucking wife. To his wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although, have you seen the, um, I think Brittany shared it in the party, but it's this article on Big Cat Rescue website, and it's, well, not article, it's a page on their website, but it's just called Refuting Tiger King, and it's Carol and Howard's, like, <laughs> like point by point, they said this or did that, this is the reality of it, but one of the things that she talked about was this part where Gladys was talking about, she said that Gladys made it sound like that Don left her for Carol when in fact the marriage was already pretty much over and that Gladys had met a man at church that she wanted to marry and that Don had cheated on her with a bunch of other women anyway. Carol wasn't any different. It just so happened that when that time when he talked to her about it or she found out or whatever, she was like, give me a divorce. I want to marry this guy at church anyway. And I'm like, hmm. yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, the I other, the, his that. friend said he deserted her. Yeah. I don't know. That's what Wendell said. Yeah. Anne McQueen, Don's executive assistant, said that at first she thought Carol and Don were going to make it, that she really liked Carol, and she said that Don was not easy to be with. And then here comes Joe, and he interjects that Don was a millionaire and that he didn't want her spending his money. And then goes on to say that Carol wanted to be something, that she wanted to make something of herself. And here comes Joe again, and he's like, well, th- this is... Uh, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. Joe says that he's got Carol's diary, that someone sent him Carol's diary. Yeah, that I was like, how in the fuck did he get her diary? And that's so, like, 
that's just so far over the line. If there was anybody out there, I mean, I can't imagine having the dynamic with somebody where all I do is go around and like spew hate about them. It doesn't yes. make any sense to me. But even if I did and somebody was like, oh, well, I've got their diary from 20 years ago. Um, why don't you use this against them in public? Like, that's too far. Right. It is. And the way that Joe, I mean, the whole thing is fucked up. But the way that Joe is, he's like rubbing it in, like really showing it off. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. Hmm, well, here's this diary entry and like all this stuff. And it's just so gross. It's gross. What is my sick need that I'm trying to fill with? this venomous man. I've asked forever, but I still don't know. He's all I've never known, and he's the only man I've ever loved. I hope Jamie never finds herself in such a sick and perverted relationship. Because the way he drew out the word perverted. Perverted. Yeah, I was like, please tell me she spelled it P-U-R-R-R-V-E-R-T-E-D because cats... <laughs> Perverted. I could totally see her doing something <laughs> like that, though. Like writing every word in her in her own personal diary that has anything to do with cats, like how a cat would say it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, everything else in her entire life is just um, cat. Gosh, I don't even know. Yeah, just cats, yeah. cats, cats. But I mean, that's got to be humiliating to find out that somebody that you that obviously is going to do everything they can. To, to humiliate you, you yes. yeah, has your diary. Right. It's just so far past, It like, that's too far. It's mm -hmm. just too far. Yeah. Anne said that you couldn't look at Don and tell that he was a millionaire, that he was very much like a jeans and t-shirt type of guy, that it was pretty, it would be surprising to know that he had any money at all. And then we see his friend Dale Lively, I'm sure Dale is a good man. There's something about him that is unsavory to me, and I don't know why. Yeah, I liked him. I didn't like when he said, well, we'll get there. So Dale Lively, he said that Don wore jeans and a t-shirt, but he carried around a $500 bill in his pocket or in his wallet just because he could. So he definitely, I don't know. That was one thing that he did to kind of not flaunt his wealth, but, wealth, but just know that he had it, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Kenny Farr, Don's handyman, said that Don would bury money and didn't want people knowing how much money he had. So he had like gold bars and like stashes of money just buried all over in his yard. And he would hide it in his house because he didn't really trust anybody and didn't want anybody to know how much he had. Yeah. Joseph Fritz, the man with a killer tie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Everybody was like, Don's Look at this lawyer. tie. <laughs> I know. Um, he said that Don was probably worth around five million, if not ten million, because everybody's speculating, right? So they're like, "Well, I think he's worth twenty million dollars." Well, I thought yeah. he was worth this much, this much. Yeah, this and was so another was situation where they were asking each person individually, and everybody had a different answer. Like exactly. <laughs> so I would guess somewhere between five and ten million dollars. That seems to be safe, and then right there in the middle. I don't know. Yeah. Then Carol starts talking about her past and she said that she grew up living in mobile homes and she never realized how broke they were until she was a teenager 
She also said that she was raped at knife point by three men that lived across the street from her when she was 14. She said her family were fundamental Christians and that they believed that if something like that happened, then the girl must have done something to ask for it. That's really, really sad. It's the saddest. I mean, my gosh, like, it's, I mean, again, we talk about it so much, unfortunately, victim shaming and victim blaming. Like, this is not your fault. No, absolutely not. Like, she was so young and that's such a formative experience. And then the way that your family reacts to you, like, you can see how that experience shaped somebody who, um maybe has her guard up all the time and maybe doesn't let people in to the degree that a normal person might because you feel like your family is going to be there for you no matter what and they weren't. Not excusing anything that she does, but I can just see maybe how that could have, you know, shaped this whole, like... some kind of way. Yeah, gotta have this armor up all the time. Exactly. So, understandably so, she left home at 15. She got married to her first husband, Michael, who was abusive when she, or when he was, no, she was 17, excuse me. She was 20 when she met Don and 24 when she left Michael. Carol's daughter, Jamie Murdoch, said that Don liked lots of different kinds of animals and they started buying animals in 1992 with a bobcat they bought at an auction being the first one that they bought. Then they bought 56 bobcats and lynx the next year. And they just keep buying bobcats and lynx until she said that there were no more fur farms in the United States that were killing bobcats and lynx. So I guess that was like the goal, right? Was to just, because I'm guessing that they just kept them just to kill them just so they could make fur coats out of them. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I guess. Then they opened Wildlife on Easy Street. Mark McCarthy said that when they opened it, they bought and bred big cats for years. So this is right when, because, you know, this, we don't know any of this. We don't know any about this. What am I trying to say here? <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to take it from the top. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's start that over. We don't know this side of Carol at this point. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. Uh It was this moment where I was like, that bitch. Mm -hmm. Because all she does is, you know, I want to preserve big cats. They do not need to be handled. They don't need to be bred. They don't need to be petted. And then she's all over the place in this episode, just petting all over. And when she was talking and well, no, I'm going to wait because we're going to get into it. Okay. Excuse me. Okay. Dennis Hill who comes in like a in a blaze of glory on his motorcycle with his beard wrapped around his whole head because oh his gosh. beard is long as hell. It's so long. Yes. It's so long. He's a former exotic animal owner, and he said that he believes that he sold Don and Carol their first tiger in 1995. He said that they flew their private plane up to Shelbyville, and that's how he met them. And I'm like, Shelbyville, Tennessee? I know. that Andrew was like, that's not here, is it? It's like, probably not. Who can know? I'm sure there are plenty of other Shelbyvilles around, but I don't know. Then Dennis shows us a tape of Don and Carol talking about their cats. You'll get a kick out of it, I'm sure. Our names are Don and Carol Lewis. 
We have really enjoyed our exotics. Throughout this tape, we'll show you how we take them from the mother, acclimate them to social life with people. She had called me up and, and asked about raising baby animals, said she was gonna do a how-to video. They have to be taken this young from the mother in order to make good quality pets from them. A lot of people don't believe that it's right to raise up exotic animals as house pets. I think you'll see throughout this tape that they are very happy. And they're so much fun. And it's dated March 11th, 1994. And these little cubs are teensy tiny, like little bitty babies. And she takes them and she's like, we have to do this. And her voice in the video, we have to do this to acclimate them to life with humans. Her like, voice in the video is fucking creepy. It's creepy as hell. They're so weird. Ooh. Yes. Like, I don't, what are mm -hmm. we watching? I know. She said that you have to take them so young from their mothers in order to raise them up as good quality pets. Everything that in that sentence goes against everything that she's preaching these days. I just do not understand it. Right. But okay. Okay, girl. Okay. Okay. Joe said that it's funny because all the people who are against breeding and selling exotics used to do it. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. See, this is where I'm like, Finn's hopping, where I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, Joe, because mm -hmm. he ain't wrong. Mm -hmm. Then we keep jumping back to the diary, and Joe, he said, I'm sure y'all don't want to know about how many cats died because they didn't know what they were doing. And then Anne McQueen, she said that she thinks they started feeling or that Carol started feeling bad about what they were doing. And she wanted to just to collect them and love them. And Dawn saw it more as a business. Mm -hmm. Carol said that she and Dawn had differing opinions about the breeding, that Dawn would often go to Costa Rica once a month. And every time he was gone, she'd have the vet out there spaying and neutering the cats as fast as she could. Because Don just wanted to breed, 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 sell them, and make that his business, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Deborah Sandlin, a former Big Cat Rescue volunteer, said that the attraction of Costa Rica for Don was that there were less regulations on the big cats. You could breed them easier. And she said that Carol didn't agree. Then Gladys, so I feel like, I feel so, like, I hope this is not confusing. I hope that either you've seen it or you can keep track of what I'm saying because they jump to every... Everybody has a little blurb from an interview in every part of the documentary. So it's hard to be like, and then Carol said, and then Gladys said, and then Bob yeah. said. But anyway, Gladys said that Don also had a girlfriend in Costa Rica. And one of their biggest problems was that he couldn't be, that Carol couldn't be everything that Don needed, that she couldn't be the only one in his life. And his daughter, Linda, I think was like, they have a word for it. It's sexaholic. Mm -hmm. um, I guess you would call it that today. I don't know. Don seemed to really enjoy his ladies. And I think yeah. that was one thing that I didn't love about Dale was that he was quoted saying that he he was like, yeah, I mean, Don really liked, liked his ladies. I mean, there were times when I saw him with like five or six women at a time. And I'm like, and you're okay with this? I mean, I'm sorry. Like, life takes you places. You'll make mistakes, whatever. But if this is a thing that he's doing often... And everybody knows about it. Yeah, like... I don't know. I don't know. Uh, apparently, and Dale was just, just kind like, of, like, giggling about it. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's not my favorite. Yeah, because it's, like, all these... 
I see what you're saying. The way he said it was almost like, I wouldn't have minded that kind of life. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It was just, it wasn't my favorite. Yeah. And also, like, I don't understand, Don, if you can't keep it in your pants, dude, don't get married. Exactly. There is a solid fix for that. Yeah. And also, that keeps you safe if you're a millionaire because, you know, did he get murdered for his life insurance and stuff? I don't know. Right. And his millions of dollars. Exactly. Then we get some background on Don and Gladys. So they got married when Don was 17 and Gladys was 14. That is insane to me. (laughs) Yeah. Although the times were different. Yeah, the times were different. But wasn't that like not I mean, it's not like it was fucking 1900. (laughs) Like, Right. I I mean, mean, gosh, Gladys would have to be what in her 70s now? I would think at least, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. that wasn't that long ago. No, I don't know. And she said that they both had to have parents sign off on them getting married anyway because they were both too young. Yeah. Gladys said that life was good other than when someone would call her and tell her that they had seen Dawn with someone else. And then here comes Joe again reading her diary. And I don't, I don't disagree necessarily with the things that Joe was saying about her. No, I don't. I disagree completely with reading her diary. But I, I think that he was making some good points. Like I was like, okay, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. But at the same time, I'm like, it's just gross. Like it's he's so smug about it. Mm-hmm. Just the way that he's doing it, I just did not enjoy it. Yeah, it's, um, it's anyway. just so wrong. Yes, it's. Mo- more wrong than when I broke into your diary when we were little and then you would write fake things and at the end be like and stop reading my diary Tori and I'm like fuck did I really do that yeah you did it <laughs> that's so <laughs> smart good, good job me I know because I wanted a diary I do remember wanting a diary that had a lock on it and mom was like you think I'm gonna spend four dollars for a lock on your diary fuck no so I was like well now what do I do so there you go you just plant little traps for me. <laughs> anyway, what was so juicy in your diary that I couldn't read anyway? Come on. Um, I very much remember you telling everybody I wore a bra. <laughs> that wasn't in my diary, but I was very embarrassed about it. <laughs> Field day. Yeah. I it, spread it like wildfire. Oh, my God. Everybody <laughs> was talking about that I was wearing a bra. And then... Remember for Christmas that year, it was like right after that, John drew my name, our cousin John at Christmas, and he got me a bra. (laughs) I didn't tell him. Well, somebody did. (laughs) I mean, obviously, Aunt Susie would have done the shopping, but still, I guess they were like, well, I guess, I guess Torella's getting boobies now, so we should get her a bra. I was so fucking mortified. I was like, I don't wear a bra. Get away. So bad. (laughs) But who gets their like female cousin if you're a boy a bra for Christmas? I certainly did not appreciate it. No, you did not. I appreciated it less than- Now I would love it because the- Exactly. They're so expensive and like- Yeah. Yeah, you need more. But I think I appreciated that Mm -hmm. gift almost as much as you unappreciated when we got you Financial Peace University. Yeah, I was not in a place where I wanted to be financially stable, okay? <laughs> the look on your face. I wish I had taken a picture. You were you were so pissed and you were mm-hmm. like <laughs> and I was like, "Oh shit." Well, 
the thing about birthdays and holidays like Christmas is it's not about things that you need. It's about things that you want. I know. I, I'm going to blame that one on Andrew. He's the very get what you need kind of person. Well, that's super annoying to me. Yeah. So anyway. Anyway. Wendell said that he thinks that Don was preparing his estate and his assets in a way that would allow him to get a divorce and not have anything taken away from him. And he also thinks that Don thought that Carol was only there for his money. So. You think? I know. And also, I mean, I don't know. Why get married, though? That Like, I keep coming back to that. Mm-hmm. Unless he's just either a glutton for punishment or he just is lonely. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Kenny Farr said that if they had gotten a divorce, she would have been left with nothing. No money, no cars, no big cats. You know the lady loves her big cats, so she, sure she can't go without them. No. Yeah. And Anne also, said, how is she going to keep making creepy-ass videos if she doesn't have the cats to talk about? Exactly. That's Well, that's exactly true. Anne said that Don looked a little funny, and one day he... Well, okay, so this is a, a day, a time that she's talking about. She never actually says that, but I'm gathering that this is a time. So she said he, he looked a little funny. He went in to her office, gave her an envelope with her name on it, and said, you need to take this, and you need to keep it with you. And if anything happens to me, you need to give it to the police. It was a restraining order. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That he had filed against Carol. And the restraining order said, this is the second time that Carol has gotten angry enough to threaten to kill me. Carol got in a big fuss. She ordered me out of the house or she would kill me. She has a forty-five revolver. She took my three fifty-seven and hit it. Uh, and that's significant. It is. The second time that she's threatened him, right? Well, he, he was denied any protection. The police were mm-hmm. like, meh, well, no, that's nothing. She's and a woman. What is she going to do? Exactly. So the restraining order was taken out in June and Dawn disappeared in August. Mm, yeah, that's that's significant. Yes. And it was then that because they asked Joseph Fritz, like, well, if she if she threatened to kill him, couldn't something be done? And he's like, nope, 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 nope. It's free speech. <laughs> yeah. Nope, free speech. Can't do anything about that. It's free speech. Yeah, he said the only time anything can happen is once the act has been committed. Yeah, it's been carried out. And and that's the thing. Like, we've talked about that with restraining orders before, like the Alice Ruggles case and other cases mm-hmm. where people have taken out restraining orders. And I remember... Oh, Alice Ruggles. Yes. And I remember when mom took out that restraining order against my ex-boyfriend in high school. And the first time he violated it, I thought he would go to jail or something. I thought something would be done. And I remember being on the phone because they said if he violates it, you know, call the police department. And I tried not to call and I was trying to just go my separate way, but he kept following me. And so I ended up calling the sheriff's department and I was like, okay, so like how, how long till you guys get here or whatever? And they're like, what do you mean get here? Like, we're not going there. And I was like, well, but he's violating the restraining order. And they're like, well, he'll probably be gone by the time we get there. I'm like, okay, but aren't he's still here right now. He's looking right at me. Like, he's walking towards me. Can you not come over here? And I was like, I thought, what's the point of the restraining order? Like, I thought it was supposed to protect me. And the, the fucking guy said to me, it's, it doesn't do anything beforehand, but it, it'll get him in more trouble if he does something to you. 
And I was like, like, at this point, all we can do is hope that he actually does something. So then yes, he that's, can get in trouble. Yes, that's exactly what it felt like. I was like, so he'll get in more trouble because I said he was a danger to me before. And you're just simply not, you can't even send somebody over here. Right. Yeah. But that's what he told me is really, that's all they're there for is just to get the person in more trouble once they've actually done something to you. Cool. Thanks, sir. Thanks Mm-mm. a lot. I'm so yeah, glad I called you. Thanks for nothing. So I never called him again when he violated it, and he violated it all the time. And I was like, what the fuck is the point? <laughs> like, They're not going right. to help me. Do you also it's see then why some people, men or women, whoever has a restraining order, feel like they have to take the law into their own hands? Exactly, because what is it supposed to do? Yeah. So ridiculous. Oh, my gosh. So then we see a clip from a news story on the disappearance of Dawn and Carol. And this is what you were talking about, Torella. Uh, which you ruined. <laughs> I was like, you don't even sound mad. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Carol is being interviewed, and she said that the last thing that she heard from Don was that he asked her to get... Wait. That he asked her to get the Costa Rica truck ready because he was headed to Miami early, early, early in the morning. Mm-hmm. Then in the documentary, she's asked again, so this is like modern time or whenever this was filmed, what was the last thing that he said? And she said... The last thing I heard was that he said he was getting up early, early, early in the morning for Costa Rica. And I wrote in my notes, I don't think it was a slip. I don't think that it wasn't matching up. I mean, he said, get the Costa Rica truck ready. Like, yeah, it was like he was going the to, next Costa step would be to, go to Costa Rica. Yeah, via Miami. Like, probably. Right. I, I don't mean, know. She's at this point paraphrasing. Like, right. Yes. Yeah. And she. She used the phrase early, early, early again. So it definitely seems like that conversation happened. Right. And it's not like they're completely different. You know, like in the 90s, when she was talking to the news about it, she was like, well, he asked me to get the Costa Rica truck ready because he was headed to Miami. And then now she's like, he asked me to get the plane ready to go to Russia. Like, no. Right. Yeah. It's essentially the same thing. It's fine. Yeah. I don't see, because I remember seeing somebody either posted or sent me the thing, or maybe I just saw it, I don't know, but it was like how she slipped up. And I'm like, yeah. I, I just don't yeah, see Yeah, I don't it. see sorry, that. That's a, that's a reach. Yeah, I don't see that as a contradiction at all, especially when she used the phrase early, early, early in both. To me, that just exactly. says he was going there maybe via Miami. He was going to leave for Miami. Maybe he had a plane there or whatever. Well, and who doesn't want to go to Miami? Because I watch a ton of Golden Girls, and they wrote a song about Miami. And it's like, <laughs> Miami is nice, so I'll say it twice. Oh, yeah. Miami is nice. But then they say it again, and then Dorothy's like, no, you can't say twice. You say it three times. And then Rose is like, Miami is nice, so I'll say it thrice. <laughs> and she's like, why? Who says thrice? <laughs> Nobody says thrice. And she's like, well, thrice is a word. And she's like, yeah, so is uterine, but nobody says that in a song. And she's like, my love for you is greater than an inner uterine. And it's so <laughs> ridiculous. It's so funny. I can't believe you just said That's, that word so many times without almost dying. I know. I really don't like that kind of term, like but medical terms for women. It makes me very uncomfortable. I know. I'm proud of you. You're growing up. Well, let's move on. Uh, let's not spend too much time on it. Inner uterine. Stop. <laughs> Kenny Farr said that the last thing that he heard from Don was, if I can pull this off, it'll be the slickest thing I've ever done in my life. And Kenny said that he knew there was something more to follow, but he had a phone call 
and he left so he never got to finish what he was going to say. Are they trying to say that that means his disappearance? I don't know. It almost seemed like what he was saying, and this is speculation, that Kenny was kind of like, well, maybe he was... Well, no, he was saying... He brought that up because he was like, if the plan was for him to just like lose himself in Costa Rica and go off the grid and never be seen again, he, would, he wouldn't have said that, like, there's a big thing that's going to happen and then just completely disappear from the face of the earth. Like, okay, yeah, because that's, no that's how I took it was something's coming and it's it, this is an indicator that I had future plans, not that I was leaving. That's exactly what Kenny was saying. Oh, my God. Exactly. Anne said that he was shipping some cars down to Costa Rica and that everything had to be done through Miami Monday morning. So that checks out. Makes sense, right? She said that she, uh, she had to get the titles ready and she needed some things from him over the weekend before he was supposed to leave. And she needed him to call her, but he never did. So she called him. He didn't answer the phone. She called him a few more days after that. Nothing. So then she calls and calls and calls and finally gets a hold of Carol. And she's and Carol said, do you think I should call the police? And for some reason, and I don't mind Anne, but for some reason, the way she says this really rubbed me the wrong way. She's <laughs> like, uh, do you think? <laughs> and I'm like, ew, Anne. <laughs> but also, well, like, the way that she said it was that um, he'd been missing for two weeks at that point or something. And it was the day after. Like, it was the yeah, next day. It was like day. one day after he was supposed to leave. So it would have been what? Tuesday? Yeah. They filed the missing persons report? Yeah, they said that, like, yeah. he was, yeah, like, last seen on a Monday, Tuesday, his wife files a report. I was like, well, that's right. that's usual, I feel like. Right. Especially considering she thought he was going out of town. Exactly. Ugh, I don't know. Don Lewis was last seen on August the 18th, and he was reported missing on the 19th around 1.30 p.m. Okay, but if... We're talking about what Anne is saying. He must have been missing before that because she said that she tried to call for him days before and she couldn't get a hold of him. Hmm. So who last saw him on the 18th? I think Carol. Huh. So maybe Anne hadn't seen him for a few days before that. Maybe. So if Carol's the only person that saw him after the time that Anne saw him, then maybe he was already dead. Maybe. Maybe he didn't go missing on the 18th. Because he sure didn't get in touch with Anne about the titles. Yeah, she tried to call him several times about that. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Did we just bust this case wide open? I think so. Oh, my God. It was Henry Lee Lucas. <gasps> well, that was right about the time that he was really getting in full swing there. Sure was. Well, well no, he, he was, was already in jail, jail but, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, still. just kidding. But he, he can... I mean, he can commit every murder in the United States by himself. Yes. So. He's definitely heard of Florida before, so. Exactly. Nothing's impossible. Investigators walked the property, and they didn't find anything that led them to believe anything had happened there. Aerial searches were done, and they found nothing. They found his van a few days later at the airport with his keys and briefcase still in it, but no Don. The police didn't look at the van while it was at the airport. They brought it back to Easy Street, and they didn't look at it there until a few days later, and it was just sitting there. Then finally they go and investigate. I mean, what what's the point? 
Like, you might as well have just flushed it down the toilet at that point. I know, exactly. Like, D- like okay, don't go well, back and try and it. Yeah, no look deal. at it now. If you'd brought it to your it, to well, the no station. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you'd brought right. it to the station, okay, fine. But you left, you let her have custody of it. Yeah, where's the sense of urgency and where's the sense of preserving the crime scene? Professionalism? Or any kind of, yeah. Yes! <clears throat> they might as well have just walked all over it and then taken a big crap on it. Yeah. They talked to Dale Lively because he, they found his prints in the van, and Dale said that Don had dropped it off to him a few days before he left and asked him to go to Costa Rica with him. So he was having work done on his van, but he was also like, hey, come to Costa Rica with me. And... He was apparently planning to move the whole cat rescue down to Costa Rica. So when Don would go to Costa Rica, he would fly commercial. And he had a lot of planes, but they were very, very small. So Carol was saying that what happened possibly was that Don took one of his little tiny planes and flew it to Costa Rica and maybe crashed, and if he crashed in the Gulf, we would never find any proof or any any part of him ever again, right? Mm-hmm. Well, when they asked Anne how he usually got to Costa Rica, he said that she, she said that he flew commercial. Always. Hmm. And then Joseph Fritz is like, there's no way possible that he would have been able to get to Costa Rica in one of his planes it was too small, and he would have had to make four fuel stops. Yeah, well, like, and Carol is, like, doubling down on this, and she's like, he lost his uh, flight, his pilot, pilot license. license. And she's like, he flew illegally all the time. He'd fly under the radar, and he wouldn't file a flight plan and all that stuff. But if anybody knows how he flew, it would be Anne, because you know she arranged it for him. Exactly. See, that's like, that's something that's really, really suspicious. Like, why? Because Carol's, I mean, not taking no for an answer with it. She's like, no. Like, you said doubling down. No. He definitely did this. She said he lost his pilot's license the day after he got it. So he would fly illegally all the time. And, but that's, I guess, in reaction to, because John Marzacano said that he didn't think that Don got on a plane and flew to Costa Rica and crashed. Because, like you said, there was no flight plan, no record of a plane taking off, nothing. So it really works for Carol to have said that or for that to check out because it gets the heat off of her, right? Right. I don't know. She also said that Don had had a few crashes before and that he was never really right after the last one that he had, that he could remember things from when he was a kid, but he couldn't remember where he was for like the last five minutes. One of the volunteers for the rescue told Carol that that seemed like it was Alzheimer's to him. And both Wendell and Joseph Fritz said that they didn't buy the Alzheimer's story. That there was no way. Yeah. And and the only person that says that, like, Carol says other people noticed it, but those people aren't interviewed. It's just her saying other people noticed it. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. And Joseph Fritz said that, or I think it was Wendell, sorry, that he said that she spent a lot of time setting it up to make it to for the whole Alzheimer's story to check out. You know what I mean? Like she really, really started planting those little seeds all over the place to be like, well, yeah, I mean, remember how I told you that he forgot this or remember like that kind of stuff, you know, to where it wouldn't be just out of nowhere. But he was like, I never once believed it because he remembered everything. Yeah. The case 
was also on hard copy. Oh. Yep. Joseph said that his understanding of the case is that someone somewhere wanted Don dead and they got their way. But when asked who he thought it was, he was like, mm-mm, 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 not going to go there. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Mm-mm. Then we see the making of the video here, kitty, kitty. Where was this on MTV for making the video? Oh, man. That must have been one that I missed. Yeah, that would have been an excellent episode. Making the video. Oh, yeah. yeah. It is, it's the best and worst thing that's ever happened to me. I don't know. Um, Rick Kirkham said that Joe had everyone believing that Carol killed her husband and fed him to the cats. Carol said that people wanted to believe, or they want to believe something that is crazy and outlandish. And Joe said that, because Carol's like, there's absolutely no way it's not, it did not happen. But Joe's like, well, tigers have such an acidic stomach that when you feed them a whole turkey, there are no bones that come out. Joseph Fritz, when he's asked, he's again like, mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. no, mm-mm, can't, couldn't happen. No, mm-mm. Yeah. No. And he's like shaking his head and his little cheeks are jiggling. Mm-mm, no. Mm-mm. Because um, he was like, well, there, there, there'd be no bone, or there would be bones. There'd be a body. There'd be something. We, nobody's found that. No. Mm-mm. So Joe then says that Don's own kids tried to have the police DNA test a meat grinder, which apparently the police would not do. Mm-hmm. And then Carol's talking about this and she's laughing and she's like, oh my gosh, I could never run Don through a meat grinder. I couldn't even get his a hand through, let alone his whole body. That was so uh, tone deaf. <laughs> like, right? You And she's laughing about it. Like, I couldn't fit his whole body, much less just his hand. Ha ha ha. And on that refuting Tiger King post on Big Cat Rescue, she has a picture, like an Amazon, you know, stock photo of the type of meat grinder she says they had. Because she said it was like... It was called a, a little boy. Yeah, it was like a little tabletop kind of thing. And it was very, very small. You could not... And from the looks of it, I mean, she's... Her statement is accurate. She probably couldn't have even fit his hand through it. But don't fucking say that. Like, why do we have to tell you no. not to say that? Well, and uh, I mean, exactly. Like, it's just, it just doesn't look good. It does not sound good. It, it's all of the things. Because, like, why does, I mean, some people, I was, okay. <laughs> I feel like those, for every one of these episodes, I'm just going to get into such a tizzy. Because I'm going to be like, and also why? But then what would, what would, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, so I was watching this for the second time with my husband. And I was like, why does she laugh in the most inappropriate times? And he was like, well, I laugh in inappropriate times because he's a nervous laugher uh-huh. because if things get too heavy or too serious, he has to like laugh because he's uncomfortable. Yeah. And he's like, maybe she's doing that. And I was like, I refuse to believe that because I hate Carol Baskins. That bitch Carol Baskins. <laughs> why is that bitch Carol Baskins laughing? Yeah. I mean, it definitely <laughs> looks, it definitely looks bad, but it's definitely possible that she could just be somebody who kind of cracks under pressure and laughs at inappropriate times. Can't help a giggle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it, it doesn't look good. And people like that, like when they go on the stand and testify, it always backfires against them. So I guess what I'm doing right now is, Carol Baskin, for your legal advice for today, because I know you're listening, <laughs> Um, if you ever have to testify in any of this stuff, so just say no. 
because exactly. you're not going to, it's not going to go over well. Because she'll start doing that weird laughter and the jury would be like, that bitch fucking did it. Exactly. It's just, yeah, like you said, it's tone deaf. It's just not a good look. No. Let's, let's not do that. Vernon said that there was another story that Dawn was put in a septic tank underneath a house they were building. And then Joe says if they that if they could ever get the law to go and dig up the septic tank, that he knows that Dawn is in there. He promises it. And it's just so confusing because not five minutes or ten minutes before this, Dawn's like, oh, she ha- she killed and fed her husband to the tigers. That's, that's for sure. That's what happened. Because they're like talking about the Here Kitty Kitty video. And he's just like, well, the whole Here Kitty Kitty video is him. He hired a woman that looks exactly like her. I thought that was Carol at first glance. Like I, I was know. like, oh, shit. Yeah, that looks just like her. He hired a Carol lookalike. And he got her t- to feed the tiger there was like hands on the tray and like it was just ridiculous. So I'm like, which story are you selling, Joe? I'm confused. John Marzacano said that they had heard all the stories, but they had to stay in the bounds of the law. That they started with people who were closest to him. And McQueen was probably the closest to Don, and she looked out for him. He trusted her with every penny that he had. So the only two suspects that we know about are Anne McQueen and Carol. Yeah. Carol's brother... Were you going to say something? Well, yeah, I was. Because on the Refuting Tiger King thing, Carol says... Oh, yes, please tell us about the Refuting Tiger King thing. Yeah. Carol says about Anne McQueen that, you know, because like you said, Don trusted Anne with everything that he had, all that kind of stuff. She says that they found out just before Don's disappearance that Anne had embezzled like $60,000 from them or something from the business. So, of course, I don't see any evidence of that. Like, that's just her saying that. Um, But she's trying to say that Anne would have had a reason to get rid of him. Um, I mean, Anne did have a copy of a restraining order against Carol. But anyway, she says that it it, it was either 60,000 or 600,000. I don't remember which. But she said that she had embezzled a shit ton of money. But why don't we, if that's the case, then why didn't it come up at all in the documentary? I don't know. Whatever. Okay. Yeah. Who could know? I don't know. So Carol's brother was a sheriff deputy or a sheriff's deputy in Tampa. Oh, quick question, Torella. How do you pronounce the word D-E-P-U-T-Y? Deputy. How come John Marzacano only says deputy? (laughs) Uh, I unfortunately riddle me that yeah. it drives me insane. <laughs> I can't answer. I feel that bad one because I mean, whatever. Deputy. He's like, and then yeah, her brother's a deputy. And I'm like, how did I not notice that? I did not notice him no. saying it that way. But now deputy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's always deputy. I can't deal with it, <laughs> and I can't stop saying it. Apparently either. No. Mm. So <laughs> Carol's brother was a sheriff's deputy in Tampa. <laughs> And there's speculation between some of the people in the documentary about collusion. But Anne was like, I really didn't see any of that. Like, they think that possibly Carol's brother was like, look, it's not that big of a deal. She couldn't have done it and kind of like took the heat away from Carol. 
about the disappearance of Dawn. Yeah. And kind of fixed that. I don't know. And I feel like if Anne said that that story didn't really check out, she didn't really have anything to gain or, or to lose by saying, you know, like, why would she, she say that if she was trying to, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? It's not proven. Um, Carol's family did not like Dawn. Gladys says that she feels like Carol did something and her parents wanted to protect her. So they said, let's fix this and get the money. Then after the disappearance, Carol and Vernon, Carol's dad, asked Kenny to help them get something from the office. Anne McQueen, so that's the office that Anne works at. Mm -hmm. Anne gets a call that the office alarm had gone off and that Carol was there. They had cut the locks on the gate. They cut the locks on the office door. They cut the water and the sewage lines. Carol went in. She got the will and the power of attorney out of the office. Anne McQueen said that she had been the power of attorney for both of them and the executor of the wills. Mm -hmm. But when the documentarian Eric, he asks Anne who the new power of attorney is when Carol produced the new document, she was like, not me. Yeah. I don't know. She, Carol prepared the power of attorney and named herself for Dawn. She also put, instead of upon my death, she put upon my disappearance. Yeah, and that's, that is significant. <laughs> because nowhere yes. in the history of nowhere has it ever read like that. Upon my disappearance. And Joseph Fritz was like, everybody expects their death. Who expects their disappearance? Right. I've yeah. You know I've never heard anywhere of of that being the case. Like you might have um you might have like a power of attorney for like incapacitation, but of you're not gonna think that you're gonna go missing. Like, let me get one just in case I exactly. go missing. Right. Let me get one in case I get lost in the Bermuda Triangle. Or, what you know, the more likely scenario is somebody needs to get money out of your estate and you are missing at that point. You have not died. So the will or the power of attorney is not going to take effect because you're not dead. You're not declared dead. So what can I do to fix that? Change the language. And lo and behold, he's disappeared. Now I have power of attorney. Now I have control. Exactly. And Carol's the one who made that up. Yeah. But also, like, it said she took all the copy or, like, took the power of attorney and all that shit from the office. Mm -hmm. A lawyer had to have drawn that up. Surely to God, that lawyer had a copy of the original. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, you would think. I mean, there's, is that, that's not, that cannot be possible to do. Because if that was true, this would ha happen a lot more. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm sure this is not the only time that somebody has tried to get around that. Unless the lawyer um, that drew crazy. it up is also Carol's lawyer and they paid him off or something like that. But that's not how I understood well, and it. And throughout this entire documentary or entire docuseries, we kind of learn, which is not news to me, that if you have the money, you're kind of, you got to kind of get your way, you know, like, right. If you yeah. have enough money. Exactly. After Don's disappearance, Carol got rid of everyone who worked for them. And then Don's daughter said that there was even a note on the refrigerator that said, never speak that man's name again in this house. What? What is? I mean, yeah, I don't know. 
I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a mess. Like, who does that? It just does not, the whole thing just does not look good. And according to Carol, I mean, did she, did they say anything about the refuting Tiger King on that? Mm, I don't think specifically. Okay. Nothing about like after he disappeared or whatever. Actually, let me, um, we'll keep going and then I'll pull it up and we'll go over some points from it of like maybe whatever I missed. Cause it's pretty okay. uh, interesting to just to see what she says, you know? Oh yeah, I'm sure. So you can't do anything after someone disappears until five years after, like kind of what we talked about, you know, the power of attorney doesn't take into effect because you can't be declared legally dead until after five years after you disappear without ever popping back up. So Carol had him declared dead five years and one day after he disappeared. Yeah. Carol started moving things around that were Dawn's. She took a lot of properties and put them in her name. And this is kind of according to Gladys and the two daughters. But one of the daughters said that she gave a lot of the yucky stuff to his daughters and kept the good stuff for herself. So what does that mean? Just like um, bad bad legal financial situations? Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I mean, they didn't say they didn't give details about that. But yeah. Carol said that she was always the other woman and that his ex-wife and kids always acted like they didn't get a fair settlement. And she tried to take him back or they tried to take him back to court for more money. And that's when he disowned them. And she said that he wanted to nullify their trust. But Carol did not want to do that because they are his kids. So she kept it intact. The director asked Gladys and his kids what theory makes the most sense. Linda said that she thinks that one that would have benefited or that the one that would have benefited the most from his death is Carol. Mm -hmm. Gladys said she knows, like she knows something. There's old footage of Carol on a news report saying that the hardest thing for her about the case is that she can't finally say, see, I didn't do it. And she's laughing and like happy as shit. Yeah, and also, like, really, Carol, that's the hardest thing about the case? What about the fact that, because at that time, this was still relatively close to the time that he disappeared, the news article. Right, it might not have been, like, the week after, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, it was. What about maybe the hardest thing being, like, your husband's gone? Right. And the news anchors, because they, like, you know, this is, like, and back to you, Bob, and, like, all the news anchors and the in the newsroom are like, man, I mean, what a hard thing for her to have to deal with because she's just shrouded with this cloud of suspicion all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, how can she deal with that? I'm like, what about how her husband is missing? <laughs> right. She never ever seemed sad from what I saw or what they showed. She never seemed sad except for like one news report where she was crying about it. But I don't know if she was crying more for herself or for Dawn. Uh, right. Carol said that there was never a formal memorial or funeral for him. And the uh, director of the documentary, he's like, why not? Did you, you never wanted to have one? And she was like, well, I got his birth certificate or birth certificate. I got his death certificate in the mail and I opened it and I just kind of zoned out and stared out the window. And then when the next thing I knew it was dark out. So apparently she stood there for hours and she said that's the closest thing that she ever had to a memorial. <sighs> that's just, that's just, I don't even know what to say there. Like, 
you couldn't even you get his death certificate and you can't even this was this was your husband you were married to him at the time you were supposed to have loved him you couldn't even have like a celebration of life or something right (laughs) at least for some closure for people that cared about him if if you don't let somebody else have that yeah i mean it's the appropriate thing to do if even only for looks (laughs) like right you i don't believe for one second she zoned out for 16 hours right and just like felt him being not a part of her life anymore yeah i think the i think the if she did zone out it was like Okay, I got the death certificate. I set my alarm for tomorrow morning when the, you know, life insurance place opens up and I can call and get my settlement. Exactly. Okay, next thing is declare him legally dead. Yeah. Linda and Gail, Don's girl, said that in the end they didn't end up with probably 10% of his estate, that Carol got the rest. Then we see a video of Carol with a goddamn flower crown on, and she's reciting the science of getting rich. She's saying, there's an exact science to it. There is a science of getting rich, and it is an exact science. The ownership of money and property comes from doing things in a certain way. Those who do things in a certain way, whether on purpose or accidentally, get rich so weird and also like the way that it's it's so creepy like whether on purpose or accidentally like what does that mean yeah what are you what yeah what i part partly want to see the whole thing but definitely don't want to see the whole (laughs) thing you know like yeah i saw enough of it but my interest is peaked Mm -hmm. carol is then i just I, if, if you've seen it already, then you understand. If you haven't seen it, I don't know how to prepare you for this. You have to see it, though. Um, then Carol starts talking about her current husband, Howard. They met on November 1st, 2002. On November 1st, 2004, they got married. And the wedding photos. Oh, my God. <laughs> so Carol's in this like white day dress with the flower crown, of course. And I just I can't with her flower crowns. I know. It's so weird. Like not weird, but I don't does she just wear them all the time now because it was in her wedding picture? Like I don't know. She's in one all the time. Yeah, all the time. I don't know. So, but that's not even the worst part. Um Howard's outfit is very Fred Flintstone, caveman, like, <laughs> not a loincloth, but you know what I'm talking about? Like, mm. animal print, a one-shoulder dress kind of thing. And there are pictures of him wearing a wig, and then she's got him on a leash in one photo. Um, uh, yeah. I don't. It's fucking insane. I don't, I do not get it. No. Then we cut to Anne McQueen and she said that she would have loved to have a funeral for him, that she would have liked the closure. And the director 
She says, what about justice? And she said, I mean, it, it would be nice, but I've never been a greedy person. We all feel that Carol knows more than what she's saying. Carol said that there's not a lot that she wants to say to these people because she knows that they are only saying these things because they view her as a threat to their livelihood. And with that being their driving motivation, there's nothing she can say or do that will change that. She's Dawn's right. family, well, yeah, I mean, good good for being that self-aware, I guess, but <laughs> she, still. <yeah. laughs> she's, like, not right in, like, a super great way, but she's right. No. <laughs> At least she's aware. I don't know. Um, Dawn's family, of course, think that the death was not investigated enough. And they were told that Carol was the prime suspect, but then John Marzacano said that he would be remiss if he said that they had a prime suspect at that time. Linda, Don's daughter, said that when they started to speak out and did, they did People Magazine, they did Inside Edition, and then they were going to be on hard copy, and that's when they got a cease and desist from Carol, basically saying, we have the money, you do not, you better stop. So they stopped. And the episode ends with Joe saying, I'm taking Carol on because everyone else is scared to. She's got a lot of answering to do. Her day is coming. Mm. And <laughs> that is a call from prison. Um, and then that's where the episode ends. Yeah. It's a big episode. It is. It was, it was interesting. I mean, watching it like nine times like I have. Um, you kind of get a little bit more every time you watch it because there's just so much. And then taking notes on it was difficult because I tried to take lengthy notes and like really detailed, thorough notes, but there's so much. And it was just, yeah. Yeah. It was a lot. It was a lot. Um, it was a lot. This, I'll link to this post it's super long, but a couple of the things that she says on there, the refuting. Um, first, she goes, she starts talking about, um, you know, why people, how people talk about, oh, you've got your cats in cages and stuff like that, too. But then she goes on about the Don stuff. So she says that in the few years preceding his disappearance, Don's behavior was gradually showing signs of mental deterioration um that he was he was showing signs of like forgetting things and stuff like that she said someone mentioned alzheimer's to me and i got don to agree to set up an appointment with a specialist dr gold and mcqueen intervened and convinced him to see her psychiatrist he referred us to a dr west in the same building who was not there so Don saw Dr. Russell. He diagnosed Don with bipolar disorder and gave him a prescription to have an MRI at the hospital. I did not find the prescription until I was searching his bedside table looking for clues to his disappearance. I don't know. I, I wonder if that... I, I would like to see that document, but I'm sure she doesn't still have it. Um, she says that everyone repeats the lie that Don was a millionaire when I met him. He had a business cutting the axles off of trailers pulled by tractors and selling the boxes as storage and the axles back to Great Dane. He owned two real estate properties at the time. He may well have been worth six figures and coming from a very modest background would have felt he was rich. No one, including Anne McQueen, who had access to his books, ever has ever provided any bank records or other evidence that he had more than that. 
One day at the bank, he overheard a bank officer say he had a $20,000 loan in default. He would be glad to sell for $2,000. He got the information and, because he could not read beyond a first grade level, asked me to look into it. In brief, we bought the loan, foreclosed, and sold the property for substantial profit. This is what got us into the real estate business. We started buying defaulted loans from banks and going to tax deed sales. Um... worth around $5 million at the time of his disappearance. We kept the properties in trusts. During the roughly 10 years we were partners before his divorce and our marriage, there were properties we bought together and some Don bought on his own or with another woman, Pam. When we married, I put all of those I had not worked on into one trust. I was the beneficiary of the trust holding the properties I was involved in. Anyone can search his name in the public records from 1950 to 1997 to see this is true. Then she talks about Anne McQueen. Hmm. Uh, Okay, so she says that it was $600,000 and was embezzling. And she says that she was... wow. Yeah, she was buying properties with our funds and putting them into her name. A court ordered her to return them. And then she links to a court case or like court documents, but it says it's a conservatorship case. And it says the defendant is Don Lewis. It says next of kin, Carol, conservator, Carol, um, absentee, Don Lewis, next of kin, Anne McQueen, trustee. But it doesn't like, it's just this big list of like, I don't understand what I'm looking at here, I guess. I, I feel like sharing this document doesn't really, maybe there's something further down, but no, I you'd have yeah, to have a really... lawyer look at this. It's just a bunch of lists of legal jargon and stuff, and I'm like, I don't understand what I'm looking at. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, so I feel like that doesn't... Uh, that doesn't say anything. I don't know to me yeah and i use legal jargon in everyday life i object yeah i mean bird law (laughs) i was going for more of like a legally blonde thing but oh right okay um so then let's see she talks about the meat grinder um oh the application for a restraining order don spent one week per month in costa rica don was a man who wanted to have sex daily he would go to costa rica during the week i was having my menstrual cycle gross I accepted this as something I had to live with. During the week he was away, I would haul off the property as much of the junk as I could. Wendell told Don I was doing this. Don tried calling the police to get them to stop me. They told him we would he would need a restraining order. It's unclear if it was Don's idea to get a restraining order. It's unclear if it was Don's idea that to get a restraining order. He would have to say I threatened him or if someone like Wendell suggested that. Don filed for the order on June 20th, 1997, and it was denied. Anne claims Don told her to give the document to the police if anything happened to him. If someone tells you that and the person disappears two months later, do you forget that, as Anne claims? No, you remember and give it to the police immediately. But Anne did not tell the police or me about it until September the 9th, 1997, when she claims to have suddenly remembered just in time to spring it on me in a court hearing with Judge Sexton as a way to have to try and have herself appointed as conservator of our estate. Anne is an embezzler and a liar, and her claim that Don told her if anything happens to me, give it to the police, and she simply forgot until that hearing three weeks later is simply not credible. 
Um, so here's the deal about everything in this documentary. Everybody is worse than the other. You know what I mean? Like they're all bad and they all have their like point that they're trying to make. But it's like, well, you guys all suck. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like, well, she did this. Well, he did that. Well, she did this. And it's like, well, you guys both suck. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's hard. You can't really pick a side or be like, well, I mean, they're right because they all suck. Yeah. And, she- and who really knows if Anne, if Anne actually did any of that kind of stuff. Like, right. I just have a hard time if they were trying to paint all of this in a light to maybe accuse Carol of anything. Wouldn't they? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I just, I'm having a hard time believing that. I'm just having a hard time believing it. I don't know. Yeah. I think that, um, well, also, she keeps linking to these court cases or whatever. It's the same fucking document that doesn't make any sense. Here's the thing about Carol is the way that she answers questions is she she dances around stuff in such a way that you're like, but you didn't actually answer the question. Right. And I feel like she uses money and law, like the judicial system, to try to exhaust people and fake them out and just be like, oh, okay, fine. Okay, whatever. Like she, because that's all she's got, you know, like she, if somebody says anything bad about her, she's like, okay, well, sued. You're sued. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Don't even get me started on the I next mean, episode. Yeah. The next episode, obviously. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll link to that uh, article, though, so you can, you know, cool. take a peek at it. Thank you very much for doing that. Yeah, girl. But, yeah, I mean, there's just so much in this whole docuseries to talk about. And, of course, you know, we're I trying know. to... trying. Trying to get through it all. Dude, this one's going to be almost an hour and a half. And this is just one episode. Like, there's just so much. Damn. Yeah. So much. But yeah, we look forward to catching you on the next episode. Yep. And we will um, definitely make sure you check your messages on Patreon when you get one. Because that's how we will let you know when the Netflix party is going to be. So Andrew and I are up through episode four. So we're going to be watching episode five. Um, well, God, by the time you hear this, then it'll be it'll be a, a, a moo point, just like a cow. <laughs> but, you know, keep looking at your messages, I guess. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> so we'll, uh, you know, we'll catch you next time then. All right. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.